folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proof's in the pudding. It's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card or anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot. NativeShark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so for today's episode, we're back with your favorite Japan real estate experts panel. And on this occasion, we're also joined by a guest. Her name is Mika Giman, and she works for a Tokyo brokerage that caters to foreigners. And not only to foreign buyers who are purchasing property in Japan, but also to foreign tenants who are looking for a place to rent, which, as you may have heard or experienced yourself, is not really a trivial matter in Japan, unfortunately. And we've spoken about this on quite a few occasions here on the podcast, but it's a well-documented pain point for a lot of non-Japanese residents of the country. So Mika tells us a bit about herself, her company, and how she ended up doing what she's doing, which is pretty rare here in Japan. And naturally, the conversation drifts a little bit from real estate to more general and social topics like discrimination, uh, cultural differences, the effects of COVID, and so on and so forth. But a really fun, long chat with plenty of insights, or I thought so at least. So hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, so we've got the usual crew, and um, oh, there's a meal. Still a meal? Maybe it's not. So, yep, there he is. So we've got the usual crew, and we'll do our own introductions when Mika's done, but the uh, people who are viewing this probably uh, already have heard enough of us. But um, yeah, Mika, so tell us a little bit about your company and what you do. Okay, so we, I work for a real estate agency in Tokyo, and we cover... Tokyo, Kanagawa, and Saitama, Chiba, mostly those four prefectures. And we do 
uh, normal rental and uh, selling and buying of real estate and property management, monthly and weekly apartments, and also minpaku sometimes. And we usually work for foreigners and also Japanese too. So we, uh, yeah, we cover, I guess, many things. And share houses, right? Oh, yes, we share houses too. Yeah, we have uh, five share houses in Tokyo. And yeah, we run them. And do you also work with auctions as well? Auctions? Yeah, or maybe I'm at the wrong website. Foreclosed properties and stuff like that? I don't think they do. No, I don't think we do. Okay. At the wrong website then. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think, um, well, I, I met Mika specifically. When, so, so let's, whenever one of us speaks, let's do our short introduction. So we also work on behalf of um, investors and holiday home shoppers and um same as uh, Mika's company, we mainly serve, not mainly, uh, primarily, um, only serve um, foreigners, whether they're in Japan or out of Japan. So I met Mika when I came to Tokyo to view some properties on behalf of a customer. And then she was, um, she was really nice in showing us around and she did a lot of hard work um, and um, very, very politely um, took all of our um, annoying requests in and, and did everything that we asked. And, but one of the things that I really liked um, about uh, when she told me her own personal story and is um, that she, she's actually got, gotten into real estate um, thinking about the difficulties that foreigners are facing uh, when they try to um, also purchase, but mainly rent in Japan. So could you maybe give us like a little bit brief um, introduction of how you personally got into it? Like, how did you end up? First of all, how did you end up in, uh, speaking English so well? That's pretty rare in Japan. <laughs> Thank you so much. I used to study abroad in Canada, in Toronto, for a year and a half. I, yeah, and I probably tried really hard to communicate with people. That's probably why my English got better. But yeah, I'm still trying to learn more. I guess that's the story of my English. And how I got into this industry is that uh, I, I have a friend that lives in Japan. She came from Australia and she, I, I, my English wasn't really good or like I didn't have any experience at that time, I, I think five years ago. And she told me everything about her experience, uh, renting in Japan and everything. Like she was struggling to find a gambler or many things like she can't really speak and communicate in Japanese. That was really hard for her to find a good apartment. And yeah, I was, I heard about that and I started thinking about uh, something like I want to do something that I can help especially because I, I had also difficulties in Canada too. So, yeah. And difficulties was, in Canada as a Japanese renting a place, you mean? Uh, renting a place isn't 
that hard for us because we have like a Japanese community. And I think it's not like really, really strict in Canada than Japan, I think. But many things like it doesn't have to be like renting, but like communication problems or being in foreign countries that's like to live is not an easy thing. So that's why, yeah, I wanted to help something with something like that, like yep. communications or, yeah. And then you found your company and your boss was <laughs> open to the idea or was he all, already working with foreigners before? Or He was working in, uh, before, from before. And yeah, I, I was a little bit interested in investment. So yeah, that's also why I got interested in real estate. And yeah, he was working with foreigners already. And my, my senpai, she was also working with foreigners and she is like really successful. So senpai for the non-Japanese speakers, that's like a mentor or like a senior colleague or what's the actual definition? <laughs> she is, I guess, boss. She is my boss, but she's also still young and I feel more like senpai colleague but what, what, what's yeah. no i mean what's the definition of the word senpai in japanese uh, senpai? oh sorry yeah. sorry senpai is uh senior senior okay yeah i think um we're all in similar situation like tracy for example was talking about how she um helps um people relocate so that uh, tracy could you maybe tell a little bit about what you do um again and then maybe specifically on the relocation front because that's something that really takes um unique expertise, doesn't it? Sure, well, um, so hi Mika, <laughs> again. Hi. Hi, <laughs> um, so I'm CEO of Tokyo Family Stays and we are a short-term rental company um, and we have a Minpaku Kami license and uh, we have a hotel license, but it's like a Ryokangyo and also Minpaku license for um, the places that we don't have the, uh, the Ryokangyo. So um, we do a combination of um, of um, uh, short stays and medium stays. Um, and uh, you know, before the pandemic, we were really looking after inbound tourists. So of course, when the borders shut for tourists, um, we had to really decide how we were going to use our existing properties. Um, so I pivoted mostly to help Japanese people who was who were here for a long period of time. Um, and uh, they couldn't return back to their own countries um, or the, the countries where they were working. So these were expat Japanese who were living in China or Indonesia or other places that had um, uh, really bad numbers. And their companies brought them back to Japan because of safety. They wanted to make sure that the, their staff and their and their staff's family obviously were going to be close to Japan where the medical system was something they were more comfortable with than say perhaps Indonesia which was was having a really rough time at one point um, 
And also I've, I've been looking after quarantining. So people coming into Japan who need a place to quarantine um, for two weeks, for example. And uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half, uh, nearly a oh, year and a half. Yes. Um, and uh, during, during this downtime, I've really been looking at ways in which that I can uh, meet uh, meet customers who need my services. So, um, and relocation companies uh, need my services. So, when uh, when people come in, they uh, they often need a few weeks to settle settle in. They need a few weeks while their furniture is arriving, and also for the relocation companies to find them longer term rentals um then most they're mostly going to regular chintai which is a rental rather than going into um going into a purchase situation so it um so we tend to be that bridge between uh, arrival quarantine and also getting them getting them into their own longer term chintai and, and what happens when you run out of um, like do you only use your own properties or the properties that you've got under management or can you also help them with um like normal landlords that might have not been open to that? Um, I I have a lot. I mean, I know lots of people like yourself, Steve, and, and like Emil and other people who do run, run like more traditional um, real estate companies. And I also know a lot of other people who have a lot of other short-term like furnished places. So what I like to do is find out what the needs are of the person who's staying and go, okay, well, you have this problem. Let me try and solve, solve it with people that I know who can help you rather than, you know, going out into the marketplace um, with possibly unfriendly real estate agents. So um, I'll, I'll do introductions to people that I know and trust already. So that's, that's what I tend to do. Um, because there are some special problems or that there are some special, you know, situations that, that, um, you know, especially inbounds find themselves in when they arrive that, uh, that, that Japanese people and tr a traditional Japanese, uh, real estate shop just doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, fully understand or, or aren't able to cater to that. So, um, you know, there seems to be some fairly specialized real estate agents, you know, like Mika, who can really help um, inbound uh, and uh, and foreigners. I don't want to say foreigners. It's just like you know, people who don't know the Japanese system so well. So. And the landlords too, right? Like, I guess maybe maybe that's more of a question for Mika. But like, like Mika, yes. you as well. I guess you don't always have available units that you're managing or available houses. So. Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes have to go and convince like traditional Japanese landlords to take on foreign tenants? Have you been mm -hmm. in that situation? Yes. Yeah. I. How do you do that? Do I'm really curious, actually. <laughs> I do it a lot, but I usually say like I will be in between. Yeah. While the tenant is in the house, and sometimes mm, some management companies say still no but i just try many times and i also tell them how many i handle like how many people i have been handling and they are happy about it yeah so i guess i just try to talk and convince many times that's how i do and also, a lot of them, that, that's really, I mean, hmm. that, that's a uniquely Japanese thing, right? Like I know in Australia, 
Mm-hmm. Um, on the few occasions where we sort of even smelled that a particular landlord was not interested in foreign tenants, um, like you immediately kind of scream discrimination and you threaten them with lawsuits and, you know, you, you, you tell them that this just not, not acceptable to do that kind of thing. And then they usually back off. But in Japan, that's a very common thing, right? Like people, landlords and agents feel very free to say, no, we don't take foreigners. Mm, yeah. 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 Is that, is I, that, is that, I mean, I don't want to just sort of paint that with a brush of discrimination, but a lot of that's just fear, surely, and nerves um, and shyness, right? Yeah. They, racism is fear, right? Sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> sorry. Um, sure, I mean... Yes, yes. I mean, that's a different conversation, but um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be generous, Sue. I'm trying yep, to be I'm generous. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Mika. I'll shut up now. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> usually many landlords and management companies are afraid of the communication problems. Not, yeah. I don't think it's like really a discrimination. Well, it maybe it sounds like discrimination, but... I think mostly the the fear is the communication problem. And also sometimes the cultural difference, such as garbage or uh, how they live, like house parties or that kind of things. So yeah, these days the Gan, uh, there, there are some foreigner-friendly guarantor company that helps uh, communications, like communication service. And I also like introduce the guarantor company, like why don't you use this guarantor company? They uh, help with communication and they can take how they like uh, put the, uh, take up the garbage, that kind of things. I could so, actually really use, um, it would be really good if you could send me a list of um, foreigner-friendly guarantor companies. I only have yeah. a couple of names on my list and um, mm-hmm. um, that would be good. We'd put it in the show notes for people who are actually looking. Because a lot of the time, if someone's looking to rent a place, for example, where you or Tracy or somebody else might not be accessible to them, let's say in uh, Nagoya or Osaka or whatever, then it, they can often approach through the guarantee company, right? Like they first talk to the guarantee company and then the guarantee company can maybe even help them find a place, right? Yeah, so I think so, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I mean, the rest of us as well, I mean, Matt, your case, it's even worse because you're out in the sticks and when people are looking to, um, I mean, it's purchase, it's not rental, but when someone's looking to purchase a, an Akia in Inaka, there's just there's not even a company like Mika's to talk to. I mean, you're the only option, aren't you? True. And I'm kind of happy to report that while we have like anecdotes that we've heard of from other people who are not our clients, um, in our experience, it's pretty loosey-goosey. Well, not loosey-goosey in like a bad sense, but like it's it's not... I was a little bit, when we first started, a little bit like, uh-oh, like what if we run into this a lot more than I'm hoping we do? Uh, sorry, Mika, Mika doesn't even know. Sorry, Matt, Matt is actually uh, the Akia expert. Like he he knows Akia? everything there is. Yep. Oh, interesting. Uh, so we, we actually, a lot of the spots that you've, I mean, Greater Kanto, we're actually doing some business in Shikoku now. Um, and I was actually just talking recently to Ziv about Oita and Fukuoka area. Uh, but by and large, we're what, Nagano... Uh, Nagano, Gunma, Shizuoka, Kanagawa, Chiba, 
uh, Saitama and Yamanashi at the moment um, with some outliers. But yeah, we my company, Akia and Inaka, specializes in Akia and Inaka. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah, so you're saying that what? Sorry, Matt, you were saying that it's, it's loosey but... not. And again, you know, just as with the Akia themselves, it's a highly contextual and kind of geospatial issue. Some places are really open to things. I mean, we, we recently, we did run into um, a uh, managing company that was quite uh, xenophobic, let's say. Um, and fortunately enough, we, we managed to get in, like get permission to go view the property. And it turns out that it was just kind of like, really, this is, this is it. Um, so it was fine in that sense because we weren't interested ultimately. <laughs> um, but yeah, by and large, we haven't run into very many issues with stuff, you know, but again, it's kind of like maybe we're just getting lucky. We definitely don't, you know, we haven't done business in every single municipality across Japan. So it's not like we can say um, with uh, that much authority, you know, it's not that bad. But yeah, generally rural areas uh, are, or at least around Kanto, um, seem to be pretty open and like easygoing and stuff. I know when I lived in Tohoku, it was quite the opposite. Uh, Tohoku was pretty kind of locked down, um, or at least in my experience. But yeah, it's it's been pretty good so far. But but it, I mean, they still, I mean, they're open maybe to the concept of having a foreign buyer, but they still need someone like you like there's no way that somebody from yeah, Singapore could approach them directly right well there you you can but that's i mean that's one reason why we exist you can do that but it's going to take you in all likelihood years to complete that transaction you're going to run into all sorts of bottlenecks it's going to be incredibly frustrating even throughout all of that you still prop it's very likely that you still won't understand exactly what you're buying and so yeah like can you do it you can it is possible but there's any number of stories for people who have even done it that just like oh boy you yeah kind of set your one yourself up for that one um that's also to where our partner um agency sdk properties comes in as well i mean they're highly respected uh, in the, in, is that me? Um, in the real estate field, especially with regards to, strangely enough, uh, unit or not municipal, um, metro area, Tokyo area, uh, yeah. large multi-million dollar sales. And so we've got some pretty serious firepower backing us. When we do go to an agent in the middle of nowhere and say, hey, actually we've got this, you know, crazy foreign person over here that wants to buy, but we've also got a very well respected um, organization working with us to take them through the process. So they're they're like the buyer's side agent in your transactions. So they we work with them to take clients through the actual brokerage process because again we're not licensed agents. Yeah, um, we're the detectives, as it were, um, yep. kind of the friendly face and stuff. But when it comes down to the hardcore legal official documentation. Um, we work with them for the transact or the uh, the brokerage, and as well uh, work in tandem with them for uh, the kind of municipal. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Municipal interactions, so tracking down missing documents, confirming, verifying documents, and things like that. SDK is our partner. Okay, gotcha. And the meal in your case, I guess. I mean, again, you're not doing rentals, but do you ever run across landlords or listing agents that are just not open to working with foreign buyers? So, no, no. So, um, you know, so my, my focus largely is on um, residents, um, Japan residents, but generally it's a foreign, foreign couple 
or maybe one spouse is foreign, one spouse is Japanese, that are looking to buy in their own personal house in, in Japan or in, in Tokyo for the most part. So, um, you know, maybe a young family or whatnot. Usually when we're doing the purchase, pro like when we're looking to purchase, the sellers do not care about the nationality. They will ask about financing ability. So usually foreigners, like for a foreigner to be able to get financing, they need to have a certain type of residency. And, and then once residency is met, all the same kind of employment requirements that a Japanese national would, would, would be required. So they often ask, well, hold on, can the last, can this person get a loan? Right. Um, are they able to get a loan? And also what's their income? Um, how long have they been in Japan? Um, what are they like permanent employer? So you mean the agent asks that? The agent asks that or the, the bank asks that? The seller, the seller's agent. The seller, okay. <clears throat> so because they don't want us, it, it really sort of depends on the seller. But often if, for example, there is the owner currently lives in the property, right? The situation where the owner is currently living in the property, the seller needs, the seller's agent needs to actually visit the property, schedule a time with the seller where the seller can leave for one hour or so so we can attend our viewing. So he only wants to do that if he knows we're a serious buyer and we have the financial means to, to buy, like we can, our client can actually borrow. So, and they'll ask the same questions even if it was a Japanese, even if my client was a Japanese citizen, they'd ask the same thing. What's their employment? What's their kind of income? Um, and do they have financing pre-approval and whatnot? Uh, and so it's not discriminatory. It's like, okay, well, do they have permanent residence? Are they able to get financing, right? Because often, like, that's my first question when I have a potential client come to me. It's okay, like, how long have you been in Japan? What's your residency status? What's your marital status? Can you get financing? Before I start doing the search process, I need to just check, is this person even eligible for financing? Can they make, can they buy the property that we start looking for? And then what's the budget? And so a seller is also going to do the same thing because he's going to take time, his time and also his client's time, the seller's time, getting out of his house for an hour for us to go see it. And if he starts bringing any kind of just riffraff clients Hire come through, anyone can come in. Um, regardless of resident, even if it was a Japanese national who looks like a hobo when he's unemployed, um, <laughs> he's going to say, well, hold on, why are you wasting my time bringing these kind of clients through? Right? So, um, it's, it's, so it's not discrimination. It's just properly, you know, just basic screening of the client. Are they even a, a qualified buyer? Um, so they're the kind of questions we get, but there's never been a situation where oh, we, we're not going to sell to a foreigner because the, it's very different to rental. Um, rentals, the owner is always going to own the property. And as Mika said before, you have issues with communication, potentially. Like, and, and I agree with what she said. It's not discrimination. I don't feel it's discrimination. It's, they want to avoid potential communication issues. Um, there's also potential that a foreigner will leave Japan. Um, maybe their work changes. Yeah, and we've had that happen on quite a few occasions, yeah. actually. They'll, they'll do that. And even if we think about friends, right? How many of our foreign friends, like in the, the two decades almost I've been in Japan, lots of the original foreign guys that I've, foreign friends that I've had here are, are no longer here. But all the Japanese ones are still here. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know any Japanese that's like no longer living in, in Japan. Uh, any of my old, old Japanese friends. So I feel that they, for the, the rental, they want a stable long-term client 
tenant who they can communicate with hassle-free, right? Or if there's any issues with, um, you know, uh, even, even local local kind of issues, basic relations with the neighbours, basic relations with the building management about putting, you know, maybe there's a change in the trash schedule, maybe there's some renovation work going on in the apartment next door, etc. They They put, you know, the management company will put, um, slides and information up in the notice board or in the elevator. Um, they want the tenant to be able just to understand that without any struggle um, and without having to cause extra work for them. So it's, you know, even if it was a Japanese citizen who doesn't speak Japanese, maybe they grew up all their life overseas. So hold on, this, although they're Japanese, they can't communicate very well. So the owner is going to say, well, I don't like, there's going to be communication issues. So I, Give lots of lots of you know benefit of the doubt to the owners, saying they would. The reason they prefer Japanese and they say no to foreigners isn't because of discrimination. It's rather um, to they, they don't want to deal with these other potential issues, you know, um, communication issues or potential, uh, you know, quick tenancy um, uh, uh, um, cancellations right? or tenancy agreement breakages. Okay, they, they don't want to deal with any of that. In Japan specifically, a lot of it is uh, cultural in the sense that um, a lot of things that we as foreigners conceive as just um, management in Japan, they're perceived as conflict, right? Like I'm just thinking about cases where, um, you know, like in another country, if your lease is due for renewal and, you know, let's say in, in COVID time or whatever, like, in, and, you know, things are not going as smoothly or you've got some, uh, maybe your salary was reduced or Tracy, that's cute. What have you done there? <laughs> so, I mean, like if, if anything's changed in your um, financial circumstances, it is conceivable that you'd approach the owner and ask them to slightly reduce the rent, either for the next renewal or for a shorter period of time or what have you. But here, for example, we've had tenants in place for like, say, 15, 20 years. And when they moved in, they might have been paying almost double the rent because, you know, there has been deflation for 20 odd years and then people today are paying a lot less than they used to for the same kind of place. But they would never approach us to ask for a discount. In fact, a lot of the time they'll just um, end up moving out just because they're too shy to ask the landlord to maybe reduce the rent a little bit, um, which kind of, I guess this is perceived as conflict in Japan to, to negotiate the rent. Is that Right, Mika? Like, from your perspective as a Japanese person, I mean. Um, Have you ever asked for a rent reduction to when you were renting from a landlord? Would you consider me, it? personally? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I haven't done it. But I know I can do it. But I'm also shy. And yeah. I, know, I know more or less, like, the market uh, price. So, but... I've never been uncomfortable with the, the rent so far, yeah. but if something ever happens, I would do it. But I think it also, mm, some foreigners also do it, some Japanese people also do it. So I don't really know if it's different. It's the only really solu solution, you know, you know, is is almost like a legal one in terms of like there needs to be 
you know, a federal law, for example, you know, an anti-discrimination law, and that and that needs to sort of go through, you know, um, you know, that education needs to then go through different levels of society, and that's unlikely, you know, you know, we've, we've all lived in Japan a long time. We all know that that's unlikely to happen, and that's that's something that's sort of not really going to come from, you know, our lobbying power, which is quite low. So I know, think there you know. is a law. I don't just don't think it's being enforced. And like Emil was saying, a lot of it is not perceived as being discriminatory at all. I mean, even Emil was saying in a previous clubhouse chat that we had that even he as a foreigner um, would usually prefer a Japanese tenant rather than a foreign tenant, right? Yeah, I mean, well, we, we okay, we've got short-term rentals, Tracy, you've got, you've got this experience as well. You know, you have, when you see a guest has booked your place for, you know, a house and it's a family of three and they're a Japanese family coming from a different prefecture and they want to spend the summer um, in, in Tokyo, like, this is going to be cruisy. <laughs> this is going to be cruisy. And because it is, like, you don't have to, you just have to explain how to get into the key. They, they probably lived in Tokyo before. They're familiar with everything. There's not going to be any communication issues. Um, the neighbors are like, and even like my own personal house, right? Like when, when I go to, um, to, uh, to Australia, like my own home, I put out on, on Airbnb, right? So, and I'm also picky about the, the people who stay. And, you know, it's a, Jap a Japanese family is great. A group of, if it's Japanese you know, eight Japanese college students going to come? Yeah, no, sorry. I don't want you guys staying in my personal home with my yeah. neighbors who I know. So is that discrimination? No, it's like I, I have, a, like, I, I don't think it's okay to pull the foreign card or foreign discrimination card all the time when it's like, hold on, I'm, I maybe just feel there's other factors that, you know, are are in play. Um, so so that, that's my general my general take on it. But again, the, the discrimination thing will is a good example with sales. They don't like I haven't come across it in in Japan with or in Tokyo at least when we're doing a sale. They'll ask where they're from. Can they get financing? Right, um, and that and that's it. And if the person can get financing and be confident with my explanation, we, we haven't had any issue. And even if we do an application and we're competing with someone else, if we have financing pre-approved. Then yeah, like we're we're they'll accept us as the first applicant. We won't have any any issues for for purchases, right? And these are you know significant, you know, anywhere from fifty uh, from like gross amounts of fifty million yen up to like you know 120, 150 million yen properties. There's no there's no drama with that. So I don't want to say it's a discrimination. Um, I don't want to pull that card and and whatnot. Um, and I've also noticed, to be honest, with it's with smaller properties, maybe places that are under 150,000 yen a month for the for rental, right? Um, that are owned by individuals, maybe like a, just one one family or one guy um, may own the building. He's the one who's quite cautious of foreign foreign applicants. But when you look at properties 200,000 yen and up in the nicer buildings, like 200,000 yen a month rent and, and up in these, these nicer buildings, which are owned by full corporations, um, they are quite okay with foreign applicants um, as long as they meet the employment requirements and uh, they can get the, um, the guarantor company 
and the guarantor requirement, guarantor company requirement is now standard even for Japanese applicants. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty us. common. We have had a few um, sellers refuse foreigners outright, though, um, especially ones who own more traditional, beautiful, uh, kind of handcrafted homes. Um, they just don't want to see them going to non-Japanese, which I guess there's a bit of old school logic there, but it 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 doesn't sit very well with me, I got to say. No, that, I've never heard that before. That's really shocking. That's, what, that's the trouble we run into. When, oh, you, should, you we've, only, we've only gotten it one time, but it was specifically... I won't say exactly where it was, um, but it was a very traditional house um, for, I mean, it wasn't cheap, but for what it was, it was a reasonable price, very beautiful. The thing, the interesting thing about it uh, was not so much the building itself, but on the property, there was an award-winning, and before I even say that, this place had been vacant in Akia for like seven years, Right. And they keep upkeeping it and they keep keeping it nice. And so there's on top of, you know, cleaning services and whatnot, there's also an award winning Japanese garden, a very large one on this yep. property that was quite pretty, which itself cost about seven thousand dollars a year just yep. to keep maintained. Right. And so the the manager of that property was quite we were relatively we were convincing enough to actually get into the property. But the doing that was quite the hassle um, and required like considerable negotiation on just getting into for a viewing to see it. Wow. And, and, and the whole excuse though was that, well, this is a very important, well, it was that damn important. Like, why didn't you sell it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really the, the, the solution, you know, would be just to, to, you know, obviously, like I said before, is a legal thing, but also a public perception. And that's really only going to change when uh, things like media changes. And um, instead of sort of foreigners being seen as like, you know, uh, the goofy, goofy sidekick on television, but to actually be seen as a, um, you know, as a, uh, a class of citizen, um, you know, as, as, as immigrants, um, then, uh, then that's going to change the, you know, perception in the general population. It's just because there's only, there's only such a few um, percentage of us. Like um, we, you know, we all know each other and a lot of, you know, other foreigners, you know, we all know each other and we hang around together, but, you know, but to be honest, like, you know, in terms of the, the number of, overall percentage it's tiny you know if you look compare that to to australia where you know mostly everybody is from somewhere else but you don't get that here so there's there, there does need to be a you know whether it's a media campaign or whether there needs to be a really good drama on tv that just shows that that uh you know that foreigners don't have two heads and that we can have cultural appreciation and, and etc so well i guess the yeah. occasional idiot foreigner that does live up to the stigma doesn't help either, right? Like um, Mika and Tracy, I think, would have a few stories about um, foreigners that sort of live up to the reputation of, uh, of, of landlords refusing them for a good reason, right? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are, I mean, not going to, not going to lie, there's, there's Muppets everywhere. It's not, but, uh, to, but to sort of tar everyone with the same brush is, um, uh, is, is, you know, not not accurate, but there's no, there's no other narrative in the um, in the media, or there's no other narrative that people have to to learn from. So you know, it's chicken and egg kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna 
if I can just jump in briefly, I think um, often our conversations move away from real estate and into you know, Japan society and and you know, um, you know, be Olympics or or, or government policy and and media and stuff like that. Let's bring it back to um some some uh, was it some 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 real estate because otherwise, like you know, we think you can just just go on go on for quite quite some time. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean. With purchases, we mainly deal in purchases. We don't actually rent and directly to anyone. We do occasionally get foreign tenants, but it's through property managers um, like Mika who are, um, who are okay getting foreign tenants in. Um, but language, language is also a, a huge issue a lot of the time. That, that just can't be helped, especially if it's somebody who's relatively new to Japan. There's just no English facilities available anywhere, is there? What's, what's you... demand? What's demand being like? You know, not uh, for especially, uh, you know, say a foreigner looking at investing in Japan now. I mean, what what has demand been like, um, either for commercial property or for uh, or for residential or even holiday houses? Mika, Ziv, Emil. Demand. Are there a lot of tenants? How big, is the, how big is the market? You know, a lot of people. Uh, the buy. sales. I think it's. Um, I think it's pretty much. It's you haven't seen much of a skills. change since COVID, since Corona started. Um, I've actually started for the selling, uh, selling and buying few months ago, like a half year ago. So I don't really know the details, but I think it got a little bit uh, small. Okay. And most, most of your customers who are looking to buy are looking for investment properties or for places to live? Uh, both, but I think most mostly investments okay. from overseas. And yeah, but the rental got really, really worse since the COVID started. Yeah, but the the sales is not so much, I think. Um, Mika, what kind of price range are your like investors commonly looking at? Usually, um, for our agency, I heard um, really small. Usually, many people are looking to start the real estate investment. So usually it's like or a little bit more, like 5 million yens to 10 million yens. But sometimes some people are looking to buy a little bit more expensive properties. Now we're going to interrupt this broadcast. I always wanted to say that we're going to interrupt this broadcast to give you a quick reminder that NTI is now partnered with Mita Securities Hospitality Property Fund. And they're offering their mind-blowingly gorgeous Machia townhouses in Kyoto. So there's four of them, each about 100 years or older, lovingly restored and renovated to modern standards luxury. Stunning architecture and comfort, all the modern conveniences, including uh, your scenic indoor or outdoor bath, spectacular dining and sitting rooms, disgustingly decadent Japanese or Western-style bedrooms, high-speed Wi-Fi internet, kitchen, outdoor decks, Japanese gardens, the works. Now, each of these homes can comfortably host two or three families, including kids. 
So anywhere from one or two guests and all the way up to a dozen or so. And you can rent the entire house to yourself. So no other guests. It's all yours. Run around naked all day and night long if that's your thing. Supreme Japanese style luxury accommodation. And since at the moment there are still no foreign tourists in Kyoto, these places are available for rent at ridiculously low prices. So we're talking as little as $430 for a whole week. That's right, luxury accommodation for an entire clan, two families or more, for as little as four, five, or $600 a week. Obviously, the longer the stay, the cheaper the rate is, but you can rent these for anywhere between one or two nights and up to a month or more. So perfect for a weekend getaway, extended holiday, workation, family reunion, company retreat, or even as a gift to a valued client, whatever you might have in mind. And if you book these through our website, you're also going to get an added bonus of one or more 3,000 yen. So that's $30 QO cards, Q-U-O. Those are gift cards that you can use all around the country in convenience stores, restaurants, various stores, lifestyle shops, you name it. The number of cards you'll get depends on the length of the stay, but you'll always get at least one of these. So if you're in Japan, or even if you're out of Japan, but you think that you might be able to get in sometimes in the next year or two, and you've been thinking about spending some time in Kyoto, this is your chance to nab the best accommodation deal possible. So we'll link to the bookings page, which also has some amazing photo galleries for each of these properties on offer. Now they all come with a fully equipped kitchen, but you can also choose to have your meals delivered to the property if that's your thing. The operator can arrange that for you at very reasonable prices. And if you can't see the show notes for any reason, just go to our website, nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com forward slash Kyoto hyphen holiday hyphen rentals, or just go to nippontradings.com and you'll see the Kyoto holiday rentals option on the top right menu bar. Now we are already taking bookings, so some of the properties may not be available on your dates, but Mita security guys are super accommodating and they'll do their best to find you an available property for whenever it is you're planning your trip, get on there, book your inquiry and take that dream holiday in Kyoto that you've been fantasizing about while these phenomenal prices are still available. And now back to the podcast. Are they cash buyers mostly or, or financing? Yeah, usually cash buyers. Okay. Yeah. From overseas? From overseas, yeah. I okay. think if you live in overseas, it's really, really hard to get financing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you we, we don't bother. Yeah, you can't. You can't. So, yeah. yeah uh, I can speak to to the your comments or your questions, your brother and, and Tracy, about how the market has or what we've seen happen with the market um, to some degree. So, my focus is largely on, on foreigners that are wanting to buy their own personal house. Um, so... Again, when I say foreigners, often uh, people with like a Japanese spouse or they've lived here for, for several years and they want to make Japan their home. Um, some may have permanent residency, some may not, but they're all going to get personal financing. I'm in, I'm in Tokyo, I'm in Setagayaku, our office is in Ibis, but basically, you know, Minatoku, Chuoku, Shibuyaku, Setagaya, Meguro, um, Suginami, all that area we, we can we, we cover. Um, majority of our clients, so their families, maybe the you know, maybe got a young kid um, or they just got married in their 30s, um, you know, early 30s to mid 30s. So about 
traditional sort of family kind of dynamic. Uh, and what we've been noticing pre like since COVID, the part, especially last year, was definitely because it was quite new and this whole work from home. Now it feels like normal already, but um, it was quite new. So everyone's crap, we need an office. I'm working from home so much. And even the suspicion with the new normal is I'm going to be home. Um, I'm going to be going to the office once a week, twice a week. And now actually since last year, now it's like, I'm going to the office once a month, twice a month. Yeah. Um, and that, that's it. That's become really common um, is what they, they're expecting for the new normal to be like. So instead of needing to be five minutes or eight minutes walk from a station and 15 or 20 minutes into Shinjuku or Shibuya or Otemachi, like downtown, they are okay because they don't need to go there every day. They're okay being, they still want to be on the train lines that go into Shinjuka, Shinjuku and, and, and Shibuya and um, you know, Shinagawa, etc. But they're okay being a 30-minute train ride. And they're okay being 15 minutes from the station. Because the daily commute to work is now not a daily commute, it's a bi-weekly commute. So the house but becomes a lot more important than the location. They, they need an extra room. Yeah. They need an office. Because again, my, my clients are always, almost always families. Um, but even if they're, sing, they're, they're like, you know, couples without kids um, or singles, they need an office space. Mm. But ones with families in particular, they felt the pinch when all of a sudden you have a two LDK with one kid or two little kids, and you can kind of make it work with the two LDK, but when the parents have to work from home and they're trying to do this Skype call and kids are running around in the living room or yeah. this little room is like, they've got a bed right here. Um, and it's just a little desk um, in, in their dark bedroom. They're like, this is not sustainable for. There were some you know, pretty creative solutions out there when the uh, when Corona first hit. Have you seen those? Like little partitions that you can sort of set up like a, a portable room inside the house. Some people were working in tents. There was a lot of uh, interesting stuff out there. Yeah. So one of my one of my uh, friends and clients. Um, he, so maybe you guys heard of uh, Koala Koala Sleep. They sell those um, uh, mattresses, the foam delivered mattresses. In the US and in Australia, it's quite a big business and Quiral Sleep is one of the larger ones in Australia. And in Japan, I think is it's a new it's a new market. It's basically, you know, mail order foam foam mattresses and they get you get it delivered. Um, and they only have like three varieties, something like that. Uh, they started a work from home desk. And it's basically like high density cardboard that you can just fold and it slides together. No screwing, etc. So it's a work from home desk. And they just sold out like in Australia and I, I think they released it in Japan as well. And they're just like selling out the WFH um, uh, desk setup. So you've yeah, seen definitely a lot of demand. A you've seen a lot of demand for homes generally or different homes or bigger homes or more remote homes or what? Um, so one, one thing is people are okay being a little bit further away. So Generally, people that were looking to buy in Tokyo, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a good example. Like, I, I like living in Tokyo. So all of a sudden now, if I don't, you know, if someone like myself doesn't have to go to the office five days a week, I'm still not going to go move out to Gunma. Yeah. Right? I, I, I don't want that country lifestyle. I don't want, like, I'm not Matt. Um, I, I like <laughs> still being, you know, active in, in, in the city. So, um, and to clients that are like that, they're doing, they, they, they want to still be in Tokyo, but they can be all right because their budget hasn't really changed, but they need a bigger place. 
So they're okay, instead of wanting to be 10 minutes or 15 minutes out of, from central Tokyo, they're okay being 30 or 45 minutes away. Okay. Um, but they still want access to Tokyo because they still want that lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the people that are wanting to go out to like, you know, um, Kamakura area, for example, right. Shonan area. They, they want to be the beach lifestyle or like to um, Nagano, um, you know, I mentioned Gunma before. They're okay to completely move away from Tokyo and they know their company is 100% remote. They are the ones who are, they've always wanted to live away. They're not, to, they're not city people. Um, they're always, they've always been keen. So um, those, there are a few people like that. And because I don't do purchases in that area, I'll help them with sort of advice for financing and which banks, um, like, you know, the basic finance strategy is no different to whether they're buying a property in Tokyo. However, um, I don't really help with the purchases there because that's not my my thing. And um, and I've got some people that are looking for, you know, even they want a base in Tokyo, they might get a, the main house in, in like, you know, in a different prefecture, but they just want maybe a one LDK in, in Tokyo so they can sort of come back for maybe a few nights um, a month. So yeah. that they're, they're, the, they're the kind of patterns that we see. But the ones that I'm really working with on a day-to-day basis or even my existing clients that I've had in the pipeline that I've worked with for the past two years, over that once COVID sort of hit, they still wanted to buy a house, but they were a bit more flexible with, look, you know what? We can be further down the train line. So when we're talking like, you know, a 20 minute kind of further down the train line, and instead of wanting to be just 10 minutes from the station, they're okay being 15 minutes, maybe 17 minutes from the station. Um, So uh, I have a a question though, Emil. So are these people that have already have a mortgage and, they're um they're selling their current property to buy a new property how i know that's something that happens a lot in australia but normally the people that i see in my little circle it's like they get their mortgage when they get married and that's and then they have the same mortgage forever um and then until it's paid off and then the house comes down but um but are these people that are are new buyers that have never they've never had a mortgage before or are they have they have a mortgage and they're selling and they're getting a new mortgage what's the what's the, the situation for that the majority of my clients are first home buyers so they are again like younger families so they're like, you know what? It's time we're, we're, we're having a family, we've got young kids or we're going, we want to have kids. So it's time to buy a family home. All right. And I've got three kids. They're seven, five, well, seven, six and three now. Um, so they're maybe just a five year, I'm maybe five to eight years ahead of them in the family life cycle sort of stage. So there's a lot of personal advice I can also give um, about, you know, size of rooms, how the dynamic is once you have kids and, Here's and what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know, like, look, sorry, like uh, uh, you, you want to have two, like two kids or three kids, a 14 jaw LDK, 14, it's just not big enough. You can't have three kids running around in 14 jaw. There's barely room for a little dining table and a small sofa. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's, there's stuff that I can give them. That's why majority of my clients are kind of, again, they, their family structure, what they intend to be in five years is I'm already at that stage. So there's a lot of advice and input. And I've, you know, my first house was in Shibuya. It was a three bedroom, brand new build. Um, that was seven years ago. And then I bought this a four bedroom in Setagaya. Right. And so they're almost looking in e- even similar areas and similar kind of stuff that I've personally experienced. Um, and I've done a lot of modifications, like the um, the second house that I built. I learned from the first one. So 
Western style oven, Western dishwasher, um, you know, uh, change the color, the, the flooring color selection, wallpaper, all those kind of modifications that, that people sort of think about. I've experienced firsthand and I've gone through it firsthand. Um, so there's a lot of input and understanding I can give, I can give there with the clients. So most of them tend to be first time buyers. There are some that are sick that are second home buyers and the second home buyers are the ones that their children are about to move out. Like they're maybe 18 years old or um, 19 years old going to university. So the parent, the parents are, you know, maybe in their, their fifties or so, and it's time to sort of change and downsize. Um, and either they've been renting and it's still going to be their first purchase, or they're going to sell their, their home. And there's, there's three, three scenarios. They, they're currently renting. So it's even though they're in their 50s, almost 60, it's their first home purchase. Alternatively, they will sell their existing home and buy a new one, which the strategy, I think that's a question you're asking, Tracy, is how do they do that in terms of financing aspect? Um, that Because you can only technically have one home loan. And the third approach is um, keep the existing property and with the home loan and buy another property and rent out the first one. Or use it as a, use the first property as an as an investment. Um, but to your question, Tracy, what happens when um, I'm not getting many people that are you know, for example, young families that are currently in their place saying we can work from home now. So you know what, let's start, let's sell this place and buy another one. Generally, when they've bought a house, it's probably kind of maybe got the spare room or the extra space because yeah. when you buy a place, it's like you, it may be bigger enough already. Like you, cause when you buy, you don't, you, you time to kind of get the bells and whistles and you kind of make sure it's one that's got a lot of longevity. So if they just need an office space now, then it's already there. It's when they're renting, they don't want to waste a lot of money on rent. That's when they're cramming the whole family into there and their family sort of grown. And then all of a sudden you need to have an office space. Ooh, they, then they're like really feeling the pinch. I guess for mixed couples, mixed couples as well, if one of them at least is a foreigner, there's always going to be the, the thought frame that they're going to have family visiting, right? Like you always want at least one spare room for visiting relatives and such. Yeah, that's a big one. So that's the office. Like previously, it's like, oh, you know what? It can be, it doesn't, I don't need a dedicated spare room just for foreign visitors. Um, it, it's nice to have, but, you know, if there's a bit of a layout, if I can have the larger living room for the occasional guests and stuff with a bit of a division, that's suitable because my foreign guests are only coming maybe three weeks a year. Yeah. Right. But now it's like, I need, I, they need the office space. And so the office and they can just say, look, plus for when foreign guests, my family and friends come over, it, they, they can even more so justify having the extra room. So demand is the yeah. same, but a little bit of a different profile. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a different profile. I would say the demand is even more because they are getting squeezed out and they're realizing, you know, like look, right now, the way Japan has handled it, like I think we can question so, so how it is. But I'm from Australia and the way it's like people can't leave their house in Australia. Um, yeah. And how you see a lot of other countries, especially last year, we're like, we're so lucky to be in Japan. Um, and, the, and also just the, the conflict and like the political side of stuff. Um, the political debates they're having, and then the restrictions are being imposed in, in you know, um, in, in the US and in Australia and in Europe, this situation. Like, I think everyone's like, I'm kind of happy to be in Japan. 
I'm all right just being here. And so it sort of solidifies that, yeah, you know what, this is a stable place to be so they can bite the bullet. And and also getting financing is such a good deal. Buying a house in Japan is such a great deal. We can get 100% loans, 105% financing for 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6% interest. Um, mm -hmm. We just had the house in, in Shibuya close. It was like, a, I think it's a 90 square meter, three bedroom house with a, like a 10 jaw roof, rooftop. Um, it's only 10 years old. Yeah, it's 10 years old last month. So it's a pretty good house, southeast corner block in Shibuya Ward. Um, that was like 78 million yen. Um, oh. and, and the bank gave them 81 million um, because the, all the closing costs, everything. So their out of pocket was like 100 or 200,000 yen. Yeah, that's amazing. Not even, right? Yeah. So, and the interest rate is 0 0.575. So is, it, is it bad manners to ask, you know, what sort of, you know, like how many a month are you doing? You know, like are you closing on 10 a month? Are you closing on 50 a month? I mean, obviously not exact numbers because that is bad manners. I, I, but, I, 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 yeah. I wish you that. Um, no, mine's less than that, a lot less. But as a, oh, geez, I don't even know the office numbers. Um, because we have like, a, it's a team uh, dynamic yeah. um, and I don't have, I'm not, it's not one person responsible for one particular thing. Sure. Right, yeah. Um, and also in my, so the uh, the team generally, like we have uh, seven sales staff. The, the team itself is responsible for, um, oh, sorry, has quarterly targets as most sales businesses do, except me. I'm the only one without quarterly, without targets because my, I need to have a long-term relationship with my clients um generally japanese internet inquiries so when a japanese person will jump online and inquire with an agent or even a foreigner you jump online if you're on an internet inquiry um there's no relationship with the uh with the agency so when you come and you do a viewing with 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 the agency we just went online you may have three viewings scheduled for that day with different agents Right, yeah. each agent is going to try to cap know, knows that you may just disappear tomorrow. If they don't try to capture you for the deal, or just say, "Oh, we've got these other ones coming," they they say, "Oh, look, you know, we've got a few others. Let me show you." Then um, they know you may disappear, and they've lost the deal. So they're a bit pushy with closing on a certain on with, on and on a property with you. Whereas in my case, I, I'll. I know that my clients join me often from referrals or, you know, they, they watch, they watch this video and like, well, you know what? I want to work with the meal. Um, because look, all agents pretty much have access to the range database. Um, and so we all have access to the same listings, but not all so whether they work like foreign buyers, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So whether they, they come through me or they go to Utah or they go to any other agency, we're going to have show them pretty much the same listings that they want. If they want houses and set the guy up for this price, mm -hmm. we can do it. But, um, like I said, often they're similar family situation to me, so I can um, explain some some things about them. I've done the purchases myself. I've got two firsthand experiences with with purchases, so there's that advice I can give them. A lot of other agents don't don't have that, um, and also the financing. So because we're a licensed agent, we have loan officers at the mega banks that are assigned to our agency. Um, and because I've got lots of experience with foreigners and their specific situation, I'm good at knowing which agency handles the 
which agency will give the best financing to this particular couple, this particular family in their situation. Maybe the spouse, maybe their foreign, um, often it's a foreign husband with a Japanese spouse if it's that, if it's that mix. If they're, um, and if they're a family, often the wife is either on maternity leave or they're expecting that. So the husband is going to be the primary breadwinner. And so his residency status is, is a big issue, right? Is a big question. So if they don't have permanent residency, well, which bank is going to give you the best finance? Um, and inexperienced Japanese agent will just say, oh, we'll go to SMBC. You can pay a 20% deposit. I'm like, hold on. I know some banks based on your situation, we can get you 100% financing. You don't need to pay any deposit. Okay. Um, so we can get them, like, because of our experience, I'm confident we can get them a better financing deal or just that information is more, um, is going to be, put them in an overall better situation and able to buy them a better house. And that's also so why the I'm, sale process is longer, is it? Yeah, well, that's why I'm not pushy on sales. I will yeah. gladly go to 30, 40 different places because I don't, I'm not concerned that you are going to just jump on the internet and contact any other agent. Um, like you, that may happen and I may lose that client, but that's, I know if I'm pushy and try to sell you a property that you don't want, you're not going to come to me anymore. So I'll gladly walk into a property with you and go, look, like you can say it's great. And I'll say, you know what? I, I don't think you you want three kids. The living room is not going to be good. The street is on a slant and there's lots of traffic. Like you're not going to be able to, the kids aren't going to be able to ride the bicycle here or have a kick of the ball. The soccer ball is going to go rolling down the hill. Um, mm -hmm. There's a bunch of stuff, I'll, negatives I'll gladly say about what I feel about the property um, in terms of what I think they're, you know, family stuff. And the client can, do whatever they want with it, but I'm not pushy on sales. So that means that my clients aren't, uh, so I don't need, and because I don't have a quarterly target, I don't need to close someone by any particular de deadline, right? I can have clients for six months, 12 months, it doesn't matter. Um, and if, and, and so that's why I have a good relationship and that's why I get a lot of word of mouth. Um, my clients, none of my clients come from random internet inquiries like all the Japanese side of our agency. Most of our agencies do Japanese, like 95% of the business is, is Japanese deals. Um, so yeah, that, that's going back to your sales question, Tracy. Yeah, that, that's a dynamic. So it works a bit different with the foreign, with the foreign side of stuff. Um, and also I do have some clients that eventually they will, you know, maybe they're just walking down the street and they'll see an open house. Like, oh, this looks interesting. They'll jump in and talk to whichever agent is doing the open, the open room or, has an open house for a brand new property. They'll go in and they'll like it. And I guess they, they've they've got to do the deal with that agent who's there because he's shown them and they've sort of liked it and they've discussed the process. And they'll go ahead with that agent and they'll call me up and say, Emil, sorry, we kind of just found, are working with another agent. We, we're buying this other place. We're sorry about it. But, and that that's, that's fine. Um, even if I've got a long relationship with them, I'm not upset because that's how it is. When one of their friends goes to their housewarming party or, or any other thing goes, oh, wait, congratulations, you bought a place, you know, I'm looking to buy as well. They won't say, ah, Tanaka-san at, at, at the, the open house is the guy you should speak to. They'll say, oh, you know what? Get on a phone call with Emil. Um, he's the person. So I, I'm happy to put in the, the, the time, even if there's no, even if I'm not going to get the deal because they're, the referral network that they get um, I, that I can get from that is, is more valuable. 
Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that's how my, my that's how my sales sort of uh, side of thing works. I guess I was just curious on how, like, how many people are buying at any one time. So, you know, how many are buying from Emil? How many, how many people are buying Akia at any one time? How many are buying through Ziv or Mika? I mean, because I don't, I'm not a, like, I'm, all, I'm in a different, you know, field completely, and I just didn't know if anyone watching this video would be interested to know, you know, yeah. what what sort of levels there are. Um, How's the demand on your end, Matt? So, um, no microphone, Matt. <laughs> Uh, oops, just pressing go. the space bar when I need to talk, but it doesn't work very well because I can't <laughs> bring it. Um, yeah, demand's really good right now. We're at about a new onboarding a new one every week. So things are going great. We're not at, you know, like, I mean, there's two of us all told. So it's not like we can uh, take on, you know, 30 or 40 some people at the same time. But um, yeah, things are moving pretty briskly. So that's yeah. one or two, that's one or two customers and like new people looking like per week that's really yeah and so keep keep in mind that we have i mean you you got a long you got a long sales process right your like your arc your sales arc can be very very long it can be on average it's about six weeks um i'd say but it's it's kind of segmented and then also our pricing structure is different um but i mean by and large it's it's a very similar process it's merely that we charge up front for the services which no real estate agent operating in kind of the standard, uh, with standard properties, standard-ish anyway, properties in the right mind would want to deal with. So just by necessity, it's like, all right, we can help you, but you need to pay us first, otherwise. Yeah, same with us, same with us. The only way we will work, um, and again, because of the relationships, like um, Mika actually knows very well, we've recently been looking at uh, at some properties, and if we don't charge our customers in advance, we're gonna get um, all kinds of, um, tire kickers and people who oh. just run us and the and our agency partners through the motions without actually doing anything and that harms our relationships. So. I, I must say though, recently, we don't get that many tire kickers, but we do get them. And I'm, I'm just done with tire kickers for the most part. And so I've definitely gotten a little bit more, not brash, but like, okay, look, here's how we're about three minutes into this conversation. Here's how it is like this, yeah. this, this, here's how much it costs. We can totally help you out. But like, you need to know that this is what it is. Uh, you know, how's that sound? And they go, oh, wow, that was really easy to understand. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. I'm yeah. happy to entertain people on emails and phone calls and video calls forever. But once we involve an agent, um, okay. somebody like Mika's company or anybody else, they have to pay in advance. We're just not going to, we're just not going to put our partners through the emotions. Um, but to your question, Tracy, we, um, since Corona, we've actually been experiencing a huge uptick, at least in, uh, especially in uh, late 2020 and the beginning of this year. Um, to the point where um, my wife and partner, Chikako, has not put on the brakes and told me to tell all new customers that there's going to be at least a one-month onboarding process right. before we can even start looking at properties for them because they, we just can't, same as Matt, we're, um, we're a small com company and we can't handle um, too many, too many uh, uh, transactions before we, we can hire new people. Um, but when things go well and I am allowed to sell as much as I want to sell, uh, we're similar. We probably close, yes, yeah, similar to what Matt was mentioning, something like four or five transactions a month. I, I, didn't, rea I didn't realize that you guys were being paid up front. Um, 
that changes the conversation in my head a little bit because, yes. um, uh, you know, if that's the, you know, yeah. I can probably help out. There's, there's money up front <laughs> to be made. I can help out because <laughs> in the short-term rentals, it's, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I'm in medium-sized rentals. I'm not turning over people every two days like like I, I normally am. So. Well, we do, we do do some work before we get paid. So we'll put in a couple of hours of free research and we'll show people some samples of what they can get at their budget in the current market. We'll give them advice. And again, we're happy to exchange emails with them forever. Um, but once they want us to start making inquiries and submitting offers and contacting agents and due diligence and, and so forth, then we need to get paid, yes. Otherwise, Interesting. Um, I mean, look, overseas, it's, it's a typical strategy to submit five, six, seven different offers on seven different properties and then just go ahead with the one that you like the best. Um, but if you do that in Japan, those six other agents are never going to speak with you again. So we just we can't afford to go down that track. And by and large, tangentially, this is one reason why we opt. We choose not to have very many public listings on our site. Um, yeah. Just because if we go, just like you were saying, Ziv, if we go and do, do, do the due diligence, if we go and actually take proper visual documentation, video, drone footage, actual photographs, you know, if we make it look good, but we don't have even an interested, potentially interested buyer, we're just throwing stuff up onto our site, hoping that somebody is interested in it. That's a yeah. whole lot of work with no guarantee at all of any kind of uh, return on exactly. it. So and for, for, those, for those rare cases where people do want a similar services to what Matt's talking about, like they just want to make inquiries and look at potential properties and think about stuff, then we just charge them by the hour. Right, right. Yeah. I need to, I need to change industries. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Mika, well, oh, Mika, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Um, yeah, about the, yeah. Um, I'll talk about the rental and the share house. I think the share house is getting a little bit slower because uh, we had mostly foreigners in our share houses. And uh, I think the border is now closed. Yeah. Uh, so people can't really get into Japan from overseas. Plus with so, Corona, they're probably scared to live with other people too, right? Uh, no? Okay. Maybe uh, not. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> not sure. Um, but many Japanese people inquire uh, to share houses these days because of their like jobs or like economical situations. Because share houses tend to be much, much cheaper than the normal rental. Yep. For example, the normal rental moving fee, like initial moving fee, is like super expensive in Japan because we have lots of fees. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we have a lot of Japanese clients these days, but not a lot like before. And we have many vacancies in our share houses. And yeah, I think the share house is like now it's a difficult time. But we understand. And the rental, I think, is coming back slowly. Yeah, rental, we have long term long term rentals or short term rentals? Yeah, long long term. Long term rentals. Okay. Yeah. Usually like two year lease. And I think that was like really, really dead until a few months before. But I think it's coming back these days. And I have 
sometimes like uh, 10 clients, 10 or more a month. And now I'm talking to many customers and I'm getting busier and I'm happy about it. Yeah. And yeah, once we open the border, I hope many people are going to come into Japan again. And yeah, we have short term and long term rentals more and hopefully share houses too. Fingers crossed. In yeah. We're seeing a, a decent uptick kind of on a minor scale so i wouldn't call it a trend but specifically in izu like upper upper eastern izu peninsula um share houses are definitely like a happening thing um there's a lot of people buying up uh smaller um akia specifically yeah uh, and retrofitting them either to be in fact i'll start managing another um share house built in in a what like a bekkan it's like what do you call that an annex of a ryokan um, that uh, a friend of, my, of mine and I are uh, working together with. Um, this is excellent Yokan that's being converted into a share house. Um, so there's there's noticeable activity on that, but I feel like the Izu Peninsula is kind of a very specific sort of area. Um, so it's definitely not, I don't hear too much of it outside of, honestly, yeah, like where I am in Izu, which is around the Atami area. Um, oh, I should. So I should have asked you guys. There's at least three of you here that are working with. Um, oh, sorry, two of you that are working with share houses at least. But uh, Tracy, you've got some houses under management too. I guess that some of them might be vacant. So we're looking for a place in December to rent for a weekend, a business networking and gaming weekend. So we're going to get together a bunch of people who are into um, board games and card games and also into business networking. So. We've got a few candidates in uh, Kyoto, one in Shibuya, one in Hakuba, one in uh, Yuzawa. But if any of you have got um, affordable houses, I hope um, um, ideally with a lot of uh, table space, um, please let me know, especially if the prices are attractive. Define affordable. Yeah, keep that in mind. Mm. Define affordable. <laughs> um, affordable. Okay. Well, the how much can you spend? <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, estimates that we've got so far range from uh, two hundred and fifty thousand yen for the weekend, and all the way up to three hundred and fifty thousand yen for the weekend. But these have got to be places that can sleep up to fifteen, sixteen people. You know, actually, this is a little bit not tangent, but like. Not exactly what you were asking, but um, there's just countless, absolutely excellent onsen hotel uh, in, again, in my area, like Upper Izu, yep. um, that have like large, I mean, I guess kind of what amount to, not boardrooms, but like, you know, gathering rooms that have tables and... Yeah, have you tried telling these uh, onsen owners that you're going to bring uh, 15, 16 gaijin? I have, uh, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah and they're yeah. okay with that? Okay, yeah, they're totally cool. fine with it. Um, there me are no, up, look me up. There are no discounts, but yeah, <laughs> they're totally fine with larger parties. Yep. Um, yeah, specific, I mean, I'll send everybody a link uh, to, there's a spot called uh, New Well City. In yeah, well, if anyone of the uh, viewers is actually, this this is a good time, um, and we've been doing a bit of that too with uh, Kyoto at least, this is a good time to get really good accommodation deals on, uh, yeah, workations, holiday stays, family reunions, if you're looking for a good cheap place to rent but matt you're saying they're not reducing the prices 
Uh, not yet. Um, <laughs> they, if I keep asking them, they might. But yeah, I just sent it over in the chat. There's, I, I go to this onsen like every weekend. Yep. Um, but it's 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 a large onsen hotel right on the Chitose River um, in the kind of the luxury-ish district Miyakami of Yugawara. Yep. Um, and I love it. It's awesome. It's a great place. I highly recommend it. Their food's great. Onsen's great. They've got a bunch of tables. So that might also be a good opportunity. It doesn't make any of us money, but... <laughs> yeah, I'll put it in the show notes uh, as well. Thank you. Do they speak English, by the way, the owners? Uh, I always talk to them in Japanese. I kind of doubt okay. they do. Yep. Um, but also, too, uh, Yugawara is one stop up from Atami, so you can take the Shinkansen from Tokyo down to Atami and then get on the Tokaido and go one. So it's pretty accessible. Awesome. So I think that would be it for like an hour, 15 minutes. We can probably slowly bring this to a wrap, unless anyone's um, got any questions. Well, I, I do want to, I, I do want to sort of, there's, there's two things I want to say. So the first one, um, to Tracy's thing about, um, you know, business and turnover right now, just, we have, just to give you an idea, our agency, we have about 700 uh, properties under management. We have a real estate, like sorry, a property management team. So that works on rental. So we manage properties and, uh, for, for rental. So other agents are looking for rental, we'll, they'll contact us and they'll get their agency fee, but then we take care of the tenant once they're in there and, and whatnot. So we have about 700 properties under management and that we do about 10 move outs a week. Um, so because of that number, like that's, that means we do full cleanings and wallpaper, often like wallpaper gets redone, um, any maintenance repairs, all that sort of stuff. So because of that, we, because that sort of grown over the past few years, we now have a renovation team as well that do like, you know, that they coordinate the cleaning, they coordinate like wallpaper stuff, but now we've gone and doing sort of even larger renovations, house renovations, full um, skeleton reforms of, of mansions and stuff. But yeah, just, just the cleanings and like the turnover, turnover about 10 a week of, of tenants. I admire um, well. people that work directly with tenants. For us, even dealing with the property managers is a pain in the bum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but one, then the last thing I think we're talking about, like, you, um, so uh, Ziv and Matt, you're talking about onboarding. So, yeah, what, what I do with, with that, we don't get paid until the deal gets closed. Once the client finds a property, then because we, we're a typical agency, we charge the 3% agency commission. I think Nick is the, the same. Um, same situation. You don't get paid anything until the client rents or, or buys the property, signs the contract. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the, on, the onboarding process, usually I have like a one-hour phone call with clients. So, you know, um, if anyone's sort of watching this and is is just saying, "Hey, um, we want like you know, the, you're you're curious about you. Maybe you don't even know if you're you have the ability to finance or to buy yet. Maybe you know you're foreign and you don't know your situation. You don't know how much you can borrow." Maybe you don't have permanent residency yet. You haven't, you've heard different things, um, but you just want more information. So we, um, yeah, I'm happy to jump on a phone call or a FaceTime for like, you know, 60 minutes. Um, and you just take 60 to 30 minutes to 90 minutes for whoever I speak to, to really get a proper idea of their situation. One, whether or not they can buy now, what, um, and that, that largely that's based on financing, how much they can borrow, but their financing ability how much they can borrow based on their situation and whether they can get 100% financing or 80% financing or, or not at all. Yeah, That's the financing side. And then realistic um, ideas on the property market and what kind of property they can buy. 
um, in, in which area based on their budget. Okay, so that's, you know, although people think, oh, 20, 30 minutes should be enough, it ends up being at least an hour, if not 90 minutes um, to get to know them. And, and that's, you know, there's no obligation on, 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 their, on anyone's side, sometimes if they're just curious. Um, and I also, although I focus on properties in Tokyo, I do get some people that are, you know, they, they're curious about the financing side because we they also do like a mortgage brokering service um, uh, for, for our clients. So we have lots of experience um, about financing. So if someone wants to know about, you, even if they, they don't live in Tokyo, then they're, you know, in Osaka, et cetera, um, and they just need some pointers or stuff like that, I'm happy to get a phone call on, um, with them because, again, it helps build the referral network. So if anyone's listening and just wants to figure out where they stand, how much they can borrow, what their situation is, what's realistic repayments for borrowing, what their strategy can be, etc. Um, feel free to reach out, send me an email. I think the the link you'll put the email address um, in this in this video, or you get me on on um, Facebook or Instagram. Um, just send me a message, and we can arrange a we can arrange a call. Uh, sorry, that's my my sales pitch. Um, no, no, go for it, go for it. We can yeah, all give a bit of a sales pitch before we wrap up. If you want. Go for it. Yeah. Let's, uh, Mika, go for yeah. it. What do people, what would you like people to contact you for? Um, email, probably. Yeah, no, but I mean, what, 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 for what topics? What kind of, what yep. topics for me? I you or your like... company doesn't have to be you specifically, somebody else in your company. <laughs> um, rentals, sharehouses, and sales. Yep. Yeah, and anything like about life in Japan. I'm just really happy to talk with people. That's actually a really good, um, I, I don't know if it's a sales pitch, but that's a really uh, nice thing to say. So if anyone <laughs> has got any questions on generally life in Japan for a foreigner, um, Mika, uh, Mika is happy to chat. You yeah, might get yeah. some weirdos though, Mika, watch out. Eh? <laughs> okay. Or running share houses, you probably get your fair share of those anyway. <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> Matt Tracy, what do people contact you for? Uh, I'm Matt with Aki and Inaka. If you want to escape the chains that are wrapped around your legs and arms, living in the city, <laughs> and escape to the wonderful climbs and amazing uh, environments of rural Japan and live in a garbage palace that you yourself can renovate for only pennies on the dollar. Um, get in touch. We can show you a real good time. But you got to pay up front. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down for the good time. Oh, my goodness. I've got to try and follow that. Oh, <laughs> So um, I run short-term rentals. So um, if you're coming into Japan, if you're going out of Japan, or you're in Japan and you need a place uh, short-term, so uh, fully furnished, uh, all the utilities are covered, um, or if you have a property that you want to use part-time and the other rest of the time you want to uh, earn a bit of money using that property, then you talk to me because I can manage it. So I look after everything from the whole guest experience, um, making sure that it's bulletproof for guests, um, making sure you're getting the right guests um, and uh, taking care of them when they're in. So that's what I do. So it's uh, Tokyo Family Stays. Um, and uh, obviously I specialize in family homes, um, mainly because of the Minpaku laws. So if you've got any questions about Minpaku, uh, which is short-term rentals in Japan, um, I've seen it all. I've got a uh, hotel license, I've got a uh, Minpaku license, and also um, month-to-month -month rentals as well. So 
Um, I do that in, mainly in Tokyo, but uh, other people ask me about sort of the Japanese situation, so um, I can help there as well. So that's Chrissy, me. You, all, you also do consulting for uh, short-term stay operators anywhere in the world, right? General, general short-term stay. Yeah, so I, I don't. I believe that you can earn a ton of extra money um, on top of the nightly rate through other passive income streams, and I teach people how to do that. So how to how to do marketing? So it's a lot of um, it's a lot of mar- like standard marketing practice, um, identifying your ideal buyer, um, you know, finding their pain points, um, monetizing those pain points with uh, affiliates or third party vendors, um, and teaching people how to do that. Uh, because I, you know, with with my properties, I can earn you know twenty percent more over and above what the nightly rate is on on things like babysitting on ground transportation on you know i've even organized things like private chefs and grocery shopping and all those sorts of things that my guest needs and uh i monetize that at each stage of the at each stage of the relationship so um i do ticket like ticketing for tours and i um so it's not just the stuff for tokyo which i know really well it's um i you know, teach people how to do that in their own markets uh, and how to, to really be very locally focused. Um, how to be the perfect a, host and make money from by being the perfect host. The perfect host for your guest that match that's that's a good match. It's not yeah. just yeah, it's it's a matter of really getting the marketing to do it to do your heavy lifting for you. Good stuff. And as for us, anyone who's interested in investment in Japan or holiday homes anywhere in Japan, um, usually out of Tokyo, you've got better people here like uh, Emil and Tracy and Mika who can help you with the Tokyo area. Um, but anywhere elsewhere in Japan where um, good people like these don't necessarily um, exist or are at least not accessible to foreigners, um, we're more than happy. Um, to a certain point, if you're really digging into the sticks, um, Matt down there is probably more of your man than I am. All right. Thanks for your time, everyone. It was great talking to you again. Thanks so much. Have a great day, guys. Nice to see you, Mika. I'll, I'll reach out to your clients. Nice to see you, too. Nice to see you. Bye-bye. All right. That was a nice long banter. Hope you enjoyed it and found some value in it. And I know that we always ask you for feedback, but in this case particularly, we'd really love to hear from you and particularly from your experience. So have you run into any issues trying to buy rent or otherwise live your life in Japan? Um, Do you have any opinions on the matter? Do you have any um, requests for change, anything that you'd like to see done differently here? We'd love to hear from you. So let us know in the comments section. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. 
And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Thank you.